This meeting is being recorded. Good morning, everybody. Today is Saturday, May the 7th, 2022, and you are watching or listening to another great edition of Forward Maryland. My name is Bill Woodcock. And I'm Steve Hunt. Uh, happy weekend and to all the moms out there and caregivers and anybody else who takes on that awesome responsibility. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, and Bill, I guess my first question before we get into this is you're, you're rocking the Ravens hat. Um, thoughts on the draft, the, the new class incoming into the castle? Oh, How look at you. you look at you with the, with the question for the light banter today. We didn't even plan this. Uh, well, Steve, I'm glad that you asked uh, because <laughs> I would agree with those draft pundits who said that the Ravens absolutely stomped the draft. In fact, they have held this up, this class up in terms of potential to the 1996 class, which was their first draft, uh, which yielded Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis, two Hall of Famers in the, in the first round of their first draft. And the 2018 draft, which brought uh, the Ravens, um, Lamar Jackson, uh, who, remember, was the second pick the Ravens had in the first round. And we had to trade with the Super Bowl champion Eagles to get that to get that pick. And Mark Andrews, the multiple time Pro Bowl uh, tight end uh, for the Ravens. Uh, it was a very strong draft, top to bottom. Uh, I love the two picks. I had no idea that Kyle Hamilton, that safety from, I mean, the Ravens always wind up having a, sh a little smorgasbord of multiple people to pick from. Yeah. So Kyle Hamilton coming to them from Notre Dame to play safety uh, gives the Ravens a lot of options. Uh, if they decide to keep uh, their one starting safety, Chuck Clark, it means their nickel defense can be quite dynamic. Uh, you could either put three safeties uh, with Clark and the new uh, safety they signed as a free agent from New Orleans, Marcus Williams, uh, on the field, along with uh, Marcus Peters and, and uh, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, so I'd like to see anybody try to throw on that fivesome. Or they could go with three cornerbacks. So you could have Humphrey, Peters, and a Brandon Stevens or Amon Marshall or one of their two new draft picks, uh, along with two of the three of Clark Williams and Hamilton. Hamilton, uh, you know, is is a, is a thumper and a ball hog, uh, yeah. you know. So, you know, we, we, we have a very good, you know, my favorite all-time Raven happens to be Ed Reed. And there I'm not go. sure that, that uh, I mean, those are big shoes to fill, but, but yeah. we'll see. Um, you know, Tyler Linderbaum, uh, the safest position of any position in the first round to get a guarantee for a second contract is center. So uh, this guy comes with all the tools. He comes from uh, basically what's uh, offensive line U, which is the University of Iowa. And um, he'll be able to anchor a line, which given the Ravens draft has gotten big, and nasty uh, <laughs> uh thanks to this draft the last draft and with the return hopefully of ronnie stanley from injury to anchor down left tackle um you know overall the ravens look like they're going back to the offensive formula that that uh made them incredibly productive in 2018 and got lamar 
uh, the MVP in 2019 and gave the Ravens the number one seed in the playoffs. But, Steve, you will be able to hear more about this on a, a, a other another podcast that I am doing, which is also kind of why I'm wearing my Ravens hat. And it is called Ravens X. So uh, I decided to do this because there were, I, I, I subscribed to a number of Ravens fan groups. And to be honestly, I think, to be honest, I think the children on those groups need some education. So, <laughs> you know, you and I both come from that era where football was, was three yards in a cloud of dust in the 70s. And then, you know, we had things like, uh, you know, the advent of the West Coast offense in the 80s. Uh, the era of the big shoulder pads and the neck rolls and uh, and the hard hitters and on both sides of the ball, like Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare, and Brian Cox, the linebacker from the New York Jets, oh, yeah. um, you know, and Greg Lloyd and, and uh, Kevin Green from the Steelers in the 90s, you know, and then the Brady Manning era, you know, in the 2000s and 2010s. So, so uh you know, it, it, you know, uh, it's Ravens oriented, uh, but with the perspective of somebody who's who's been around a time or two following this, the great sport for mm-hmm. some time. So I hope people out there and viewer and listener land will give it a listen or a watch. Yeah. Looking forward to you dropping knowledge there, Bill. Uh, so that that's going to be great. Um, I actually follow a number of Ravens groups as well. I tell you, the Ravens are interesting in terms of if you go on Twitter They've got international groups. Um, I, I saw a tweet from uh, the, the Scottish Ravens uh, who were very excited when uh, they saw the, the pick um, of, uh, 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 gosh, can I remember, <laughs> remember the guy's name from Michigan? Uh, oh, no, Ojabo, David Ojabo. Ojabo, Ojabo. Speaking of Nigerian nightmares, we may have two of those uh, in short order if Ojabo comes back healthy at OA. Uh, starts to continue to come on there but uh anyway um, well remember so, they were they were teammates in high school Ojabo yes, and Oway played together in high school so Ojabo was yeah. the second round pick he's mm-hmm. coming back from an Achilles injury you yeah. know will we be back in October or November or December we don't know yet but the consensus seems to be is that he will be able to play some this season so yeah yeah, and then and then you know uh, you know deeper down the draft, you know I'll talk more about that tomorrow. Uh, the thrust of tomorrow's episode will be a way 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 too early look at who the fifty-three man roster will be. If you had Ooh. to pick it today, given who's in the building right now, so uh, it, it was a great exercise to look at both the team's strengths and where there are going to be opportunities not just for, you know, the draft picks, uh, but all the rookie free agents who the Ravens signed and also to pick up veteran free agents as the, uh, as the summer and early fall goes on. So it'll be good watching or listening. All right. I'm a Ravens fan, so I can't wait. So excellent. Uh, excellent. So that I, is not I, the point of today's podcast. So right. uh, let's get right to it. So uh, this, you know, neither of us is Monica Biddick's, our guest, and we, as you can tell, uh, hopefully uh, she will be with us next weekend, but uh, uh, she could not join us today, Uh, you know, so we hope she's doing well and uh, feeling better. 
And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we, we're looking forward to our conversation with her next weekend because we think you're really, we're really in for a treat uh, to talk mm -hmm. with her. But we would like to, we you know, uh, always flexible and in the spirit of the show must go on, we do go on with our May gubernatorial top 10, which was to be the uh, topic for next week's podcast. Uh, and in fact, it was going to be a conversation for with Monica, part of the conversation with Monica for today. Um, so, you know, hopefully, uh, Monica, you'll like our takes. And uh, if you don't, um, hopefully we'll have a nice conversation about them next weekend. But mm -hmm. Steve, with no further ado, we are going to go into our May gubernatorial top 10. So I will start. And, you know, I will say overall, I mean, we're now a little bit more than two and a half months or we're about two and a half months from the primary. Uh, I see the horse race for governor to have five tickets punched, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of five people who could win, uh, possibly a sixth if he catches fire. And, you know, whereas I would like to see the person I have in number seven, you know, be also someone who catches fire. I understand that that would have to be a, uh, you know, um, quite a quite a thing for this person to go. But we do do top 10. So at number 10, I am going to go with Democratic candidate. And former, uh, I believe, Clinton administration official, John Barron, uh, who I believe I've mentioned in one of the earlier um, uh, 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 episodes and put him in at number 10. Uh, you know, Robin Ficker is out of it, you know, uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, he was my top, he was number 10 last time. And, mm -hmm. you know, Steve, the 90s pop song, World of Human Wreckage, you know, really <laughs> applies to Robin Ficker. Dude is human wreckage. Go back with your cap teeth and, and, and heckle at Les Boulet games uh, and, and go have fun doing that. And sadly, Laura Newman, who uh, I think was a terrific candidate for governor and, of course, had a wonderful interview on this podcast, uh, dropped out of the race and uh, endorsed Comptroller Francho. Uh, you know, so number 10 had to be somebody and it wasn't going to be Ralph Jaffe. It wasn't going to be Ficker. It wasn't going to be the other guy on the Republican side who was a Democratic com uh, candidate for Congress before. So, you know, John Barron's a solid dude, seasoned government executive. Uh, he's my number 10. Steve, where are you at? Uh, actually, my number 10 was the aforementioned Robin Ficker. Um, and again, you know, we've got to have a top 10. And, you know, there was an open slot uh, because of the, the exit of Laura Newman, who you just mentioned. And, and we obviously wish her well in whatever it is she does next. I think she's a, a quality person and uh, she, she has a lot to give to the state. Um, you know, Robin Ficker... I guess the highest compliment I can pay to Mr. Ficker is that this time around his campaign is not a total dumpster fire. Um, it, it, it ain't great. He's not going to win, but, but he's actually, uh, you, I, I want to say quietly, but Robin Ficker, not exactly a quiet guy, but he's not running a horrible campaign. And I think that his, and this is a little bit of a tease for later, 
he may enter the territory of spoiler and take votes away from one of the two top tier Republican candidates that could impact the race. So, you know, I have him in at number 10 and, um, you know, I just, I just, you have to have somebody there, but uh, I have to give a little bit of, I can't slam Robin Ficker is, is the best way I can describe it because he's actually not running a horrible campaign. He's getting out there. He's got a message. He's consistent and, and you know where he stands and, you know, he, he's, he's not going anywhere. So we may as well get used to him. <laughs> the concept of him being a spoiler is a good one, but you know, when you look at him being a spoiler, I'm thinking who does he take more votes away from? Oh, we'll and, get to that. Yeah, uh, you know, it, that's hard to say. Uh, I actually think he takes votes away from the more conservative candidate. Uh, and we'll talk more about that later, although it shouldn't be a mystery who that is. But I don't think it's enough. It would be enough to tip the scales. But, you know, time, time will tell and we shall see. Steve, who you got at nine? Not I have John Barron. Um, I, I actually... You know, uh, you know, he, he's not somebody I was paying much attention to, but as, as the race has gone on and, and who just seems to, to, to just hang around and, and they just keep doing things that that at least make them a, you know, not a top tier candidate, certainly viable, certainly not somebody you you maybe look at and say, you know, why are you still here? Um, you know, he, he is he's done a good job. He's you know, he's raised money. He's he's out there the campaign trail. And to your point, um he brings a lot to the table. And I think that not enough people to, for him to win, but I think there are people who are looking at him like, huh, maybe this guy, he, he has a lot going on here. So I have him at number nine. Good call. As I, as I update our socials or at least <laughs> our Facebook to, to make sure people know we have a change in program for today. Uh, number nine, I have former U.S. Education Secretary John King. And I was tempted to put Mr. King higher because I'm looking at a Maryland Matters uh, post uh, last night that, that mentioned that um, when, you know, when people just, uh, you know, when, poll, when a, a poll was done and people were just given names, and then selections were, you know, followed a, a certain pattern. You know, you can go to Maryland Matters and, and find out for yourself who was first, second, third. But then when people's names were mentioned, when their most recent name title and their most recent job was mentioned, uh, John King was like second in that listing. So I, I have a feeling that if he gets his name out and uses whatever remaining resources he has to, you know, increase visibility, the all-important voter ID, he could, you know, he could, uh, you know, he can carve out a, a top-tier finish. I mean, at least, a, you know, a top-five finish possibly in the, in the Democratic primary. Um, but I'm concerned that he doesn't have uh that much and when the way of resources i mean his lane seems to be filled by westmore mm -hmm. and and i just you know i just don't see him being able to overcome that so i have him as number nine although you know next to laura newman 
you know, his, you know, he's probably the candidate whose whose fortunes should be much better because he has much more to offer. And number eight, I have a former guest on this podcast and 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 friend of the podcast, Ashwani Jane, whose uh, whose tireless efforts to crisscross the state continue and are going as he promised all the way through the July primary. Uh, I can't help but think that his work is going to pay off, um, you know, much as another candidate in the primary uh, in 2018, Krishna Vignaraja, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, came from nowhere and I believe finished, well, what did she finish, fourth or fifth in that primary and third out here in Howard County? Yeah, did well Um, in Howard. So, so... Um, you know, uh, again, uh, low finance, you know, not well financed, a lot of, lot of uh, shoe leather and uh, shoe rubber, um, you know, grassroots organizing and campaigning. Uh, again, I, I can see where he can break into the top five. Um, but, uh, you know, I have him at number eight. Steve, who you got? Ashwani Jane at number eight. Um, Everything you just said, and, and let me tell you something. You know, I live in a residential neighborhood. You know, I don't know if we are a vote-rich area, as some people like to call it, but you know, residential area, a lot of families, and the polling places definitely see their share of traffic on you know election day. And in my neighborhood, I don't know about yours, Bill, but in my neighborhood, there's been one candidate of any sort that has knocked on a door, Ashwani Jane. There is one sign in my entire neighborhood. It's Ashwani Jane's. So clearly, Mr. Jane is putting in work to your point. And, you know, we are in May. This is May 7th. And, you know, sure, if you're like unopposed for the nomination, yeah, you don't have to get out there and do all the, the, the stuff yet. If you're cruising all the way through, we have a state senator, you know, in our district who is unopposed all the way through the general election. Okay, fine. But if you're one of these lower tier gubernatorial candidates, if you're in Howard County running for Board of Ed or House of Delegates District 13 or maybe the county executive, the way that race is going down, the fact that I'm seeing no signs of y'all out there, where are you people? Uh, you know, at some point, you know, a door knock, a flyer, you know, some some sign of, you know, you're really trying to get back in the game. Um, I'm not seeing it except for one Ishwani Jane. So yeah, I put him at number eight with a whole lot of props for the fact that that man is putting in work. So Ishwani Jane, you keep doing what you're doing, man, because you're, you're, you're doing it the right way. You're putting in the work and nothing, nothing but respect. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, sir. Where are you at number seven? Uh, number seven is, uh, it, it's funny, my seven and six, I was kind of back and forth with, but I'll start with seven, and that is uh, former uh, Maryland Attorney General, uh, Democratic candidate Doug Gansler. Um, I had him there last time. I have him here again. And, you know, you talked about candidates catching fire. Um, he's one that maybe could, although, you know, we're in May. I don't know if we're past catching fire time. Um, you know, you talked about you know, putting names out there. And, and I talked last time about putting resumes out there. And this is a name and a resume that should be in a lot better standing than it is. But the facts are the facts. Um, what does the old sport say? You're, you, you are what your record says you are, whatever that is. And 
I'm, I'm just not seeing anything out of the Gansler campaign that says late surge to the top tier and a potential W July. I'm just not seeing it. And, you know, we don't have the latest, you know, financial figures Says January number was not good. Maybe there's an eye popping number that comes up that makes me reevaluate my opinion, but I'm just not seeing it. Bill, well, uh, who you got? My well, my number seven is also former Maryland attorney general, Doug Gansler. And wow. Um, you know, uh, I thought he was a great guest on the podcast, uh, really enjoyed talking with him. I mean, I, I think, I know I did. I can't remember if you did, Steve, had him as high as number two and had yep. him as the logical uh, alternative to, to controller Peter Franchot. Um, but, um, you know, um, as said a couple of other times already during this podcast, resourcing is everything. And I don't see any shift in late money to Gansler. I think the field has pretty much gelled. I think there are three, possibly four democratic lanes and, um, I don't, I don't see the former attorney general in any of them. Uh, it's unfortunate. It's sad. And, you know, I won't say it's sad. It's certainly unfortunate, but I just don't, I just don't see how, I, I, I don't see a path. Um, right. You know, this is not the New Hampshire primary and the presidential race where there are, you know, copious debates and forums and opportunities for, public uh, examination of these candidates. Uh, a lot of the forms there are are very are private and not that well attended by people who are, you know, actual voters. They're much more well attended by people with a vested interest in one campaign or another. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and if there were like that series of public debates on MTV or the commercial channels in Baltimore and DC, I could see where he can have opportunity. But barring that, I don't see it. Um, my number six starts with our Democratic candidates who I think, you know, heading into the home stretch uh, on this Kentucky Derby Day, to use that parlance, uh, you know, uh, might be in that front pack. Um, and my number six is former Labor Secretary Tom Perez. Uh, who seems to be counting on uh, his na national credentials from both being in the Obama cabinet and also being former DNC head uh, to leg out um, something where, you know, I believe the strategy is right now is that this is going to be a very uh, divided primary. 35% might win the election. Mm -hmm. And so how do you get to 35%? And I think that that is Perez's strategy. He's kind of, he's picking up endorsements in kind of a plum pudding fashion, you know? He's handing out endorsements uh, in kind of a plum pudding fashion to kind of give himself visibility and opportunity. Uh, so that's where I see, you know, that, you know, uh, He's kind of that outside horse, and let's see what closing speed he has. Steve, who you got? Well, Bill, we, we, we keep rolling side by side here, and um, I have the uh, same individual at number six, Tom Perez. And, you know, to me, it's a 
and this is why I talked about uh, seven and six, which I could tell you now are Gansler and Perez. Give Doug Gansler more money, give him some endorsements, um, and you pretty much have Tom Perez. You know, they, they really are, if you think about it, in terms of, you know, whether or not they, they'll win the thing or what their chances are, they're pretty much in the same boat, except for the fact that Tom Perez has the money to make a closing run. Tom Perez has the endorsements, especially from organized labor. I mean, they work the polling places. You know, those those union folks will be out there, you know, waving the signs and 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 the flag for Tom Perez. So he he's got, to your point, he he's got the money and he's got a foundation of support that could translate if it if the rank and file of some of these labor unions follow along. Um, could he find his way to thirty five? Uh, I I can't say yes, but I can't say no. So that's why I have him at number six along with you. And uh, with that, I guess we could get into the uh, top five. Give me your five, Steve Hunt. Give me your All five. Right, You're number five. Okay. My number five, uh, I'm going to the Republicans, and that is former Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz. And, you know, she's in the top five because while her – percentages are a lot better than, you know, Gansler, Perez, and some others, because she's basically one of two realistic candidates to win. And two, you know, maybe, just maybe in some alternative universe, there's a chance that Republicans realize how radioactive Dan Cox is, and they get themselves together. Probably not going to happen, but, you know, eh, it's out there somewhere, maybe. Um, it, it's certainly not because of the brilliance of this campaign. And, and the recent unforced error, and I'll try to keep this brief, is there was a recent forum with the, and forgive me if I get this wrong, ladies of Carroll County, the Republican women of Carroll County, they had a forum and, you know, Dan Cox was there and Robin Ficker was there. Kelly Schultz was not there, nor was her running mate, nor was anybody from the Schultz campaign. They totally ghosted the thing. Now, Carroll County, you and I both know because it borders our Howard County, it's deep red, it's Trump country. But for all the talk about the brilliance, quote unquote, of the Glenn Youngkin Virginia campaign, one of the things that people said was, hey, he looked at Northern Virginia and said, I'm going to lose it. But if I lose it by 15 instead of 30, that's good. I'm going to work it anyway. Kelly Schultz, you need to be working Carroll County. You need to be working Frederick County. You need to be working Washington County, the Southern Maryland, the Eastern Shore, because, yeah, Dan Cox will probably win those Trump-friendly areas, but you know, minimize the damage. And of course, at this forum, there was a straw poll, and I think Dan Cox won 89% of the vote. Big shot to the guy who actually showed the heck up. So, you know, I think Schultz is, her campaign right now is basically relying on another campaign totally imploding or the voters waking up from their fog. That's it. That's all. You know, if, if there were, if there was, if Robin Ficker was, a better candidate, Kelly Schultz might not even be on the top 10 right now. <laughs> so she's there because of basic arithmetic and nothing else. Bill, who you got at five? I, I'm a little bit scared because for those out there in viewer and listener land, we didn't know we were doing this episode until after <laughs> nine o'clock this morning. And so we both wrote down our list completely independently. But right now, our seven, six, and five are all the same. And I think we might go all the way to one with the same, with the same names. Uh, and, and so also, former Maryland Labor and Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz. 
Uh, Steve, my understanding about that particular form in Carroll County is that the Schultz campaign didn't go to it because uh, they thought it was, and the, in the immortal words of Star, of Star Wars's Admiral Akbar, it was a trap. And, and, and <laughs> the force be with you. <laughs> it's a trap. I'll do that again. <laughs> has anybody, by the way, has anyone ever seen Admiral Akbar and your former colleague or your current colleague on the Howard County Board of Appeals, James Howard, in the same place? I don't <laughs> think they have. Well, nor, nor have I seen James Howard or Paul Bearer in the same place either. So, <laughs> so at any rate, um, Kelly, uh, it, it seemed like that was going to like the jig was up on Kelly Schultz in that particular form. And that's why she chose not to attend. Um, but uh, yeah, um, you know, one still does have to be concerned because to your point, uh, you know, thou must walk through the, the darkness of the valley of death uh, if, if you're going to get elected uh, uh, governor of this fine state. So that she is picking and choosing. Yeah, the Cox forces got a little bit of a run with that. Um, and that's probably not, you know, and, and who knows, you know, how that's going to affect the, uh, the on the fence voter. So uh, I have her at number five and I don't know. I mean, the Hogan coattails have been shown to not be very long. So um, we'll see where those go. At number four, and with the potential to move up and now available on, you know, ads available on a Baltimore uh, TV station near you, former Prince, Jan bleh, former Prince George's County Executive Rush Baker. Uh, Steve, I've been telling you about Baker for a long time. And so you're going to say, okay, fool, well, you got him at number four. You had him at number three last time. Uh, I think the difference between number three and number four is a nickel's width. Plus, mm -hmm. Baker takes a different lane. The candidate who I have at number three uh, is kind of is kind of uh, hogging the progressive lane. Uh, Baker's lane is not that lane. Baker's right. lane is more the Peter Francho lane. Is more the mm -hmm. centrist, moderate competent executive lane uh, also scored very highly when made mention of you know name and former title in that mayor in that poll that maryland matters cited um you know he mentions in his in his uh in his ad that um that uh he's uh you know, he was the former Prince George's County executive, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that resonates to people in Baltimore because people in Baltimore think of Prince George's County not as an enclave of some wealthy African-American communities, mm -hmm. which it is, but of, a, of an enclave that's more like Baltimore City than anywhere else in the state of Maryland. Um, you know, uh, somebody who, who runs a local Maryland... Uh, politics uh, Facebook page who uh, I don't believe likes very much the individual I'm going to mention uh, was talking about um, the influence of former Franco chief of staff Len Foxwell on uh, the Baker campaign 
And I can see it because yeah. uh, Len has Len has his ear to the ground of the uh, political gestalt in the state of Maryland, and and mm -hmm. I think that that uh, that ad copy has his fingerprints all over it. So Baker at number four, um, but um, you know, and and that is a little bit of a step down, but that's more of uh, of talking about you know that that's more of a uh, uh, a testament to that progressive lane kind of being mm -hmm. hogged by the candidate I have at number three. Uh, but I would say that Baker, the candidate I have at number three, and Francho, again, going back to my horse race analogy, are maybe separating from the pack a little bit. And in the last couple furlongs, it's the three of them. Where are you at, Steve? Well, um, I'll meet you in the middle, but if I end up at the same place, I will make it a step up. Rashawn Baker. Um, and you're right, that that Baltimore ad, which was, in my humble opinion, a great ad. And, you know, Rashawn Baker is, the thing about Rashawn Baker, it, it's one of his, his good qualities, but in politics, it's not, it doesn't necessarily uh, help him or benefit him, is he's a pretty understated guy. He's, he's not going to rouse up a crowd with this transformative. He ain't Obama. Let's just put it to you that way. Or, or Bill Clinton is going to fire you up with, with the, this, you know, amazing prose, like maybe our candidate at number three. Um, he's just, he quietly rolls up his sleeves and gets work done. But that Baltimore ad may have been as animated as I have seen Rashawn Baker. I mean, when you, when he says they don't give a damn, I'm like, wait a minute, Rashard Baker knows any four-letter word? Wow. Ah. So, I mean, that that ad was like, that was like fired up Rashard Baker. And I was, first of all, I was stunned because I followed the guy going back to his Prince George's County days. And I was very impressed. I mean, that ad hit hard. And, and you're right about Prince George's County and the oppression. And really, in, you know, our friend Richard Shea Elliott could also talk about this. If you take the beltway, it basically dissects Prince George's County to two counties. The side closer to DC is more what people in Baltimore think it is, but there's that side outside of DC that is this whole other level, you know, Lake Arbor and some other places. So anyway, um, I, I think Rashard Baker is very quickly becoming the candidate that one has his own group of voters. He's going to have his Prince George's County block. He's going to have, you know, maybe some Montgomery County with Nancy Navarro, some Baltimore city, uh, especially with that ad that he just ran. Um, but then to get to that 35 you talk about, I can see him becoming the fallback candidate of other people. You know, you know, Peter Fran showed people who are squishy about the Hogan stuff, and maybe they would want to look at somebody else. That might be Rashard Baker. Um, West Moore voters who are like, you know, is this going to be a repeat of 18 and 14 if we send this guy into the fall? Eh, what about this Rashard Baker guy? You know, Perez and Gansler voters who love their guy, but they figured he ain't going to win. So who is like them that we might want to look at? Uh, Rush Baker. He, 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 he is becoming that person very quickly. And Bill, I got to give it to you. You were on Rashard Baker's case. You were on it for a while. You could say I told you so all you want, my friend, because I'm, I'm with you now. Uh, he, he, he is right there. He, he has found his way. He's coming, you know, we're Kentucky derbying in this thing. Coming around the home stretch, he's in the lead pack. And how he got there, I have no idea. It, he just quietly found his way there, but he there. <laughs> so 
he's my number four. Uh, Bill, uh, give me number three. I think we're rolling together on these guys. Me giving number three or you giving number three? Me giving number three because it's your turn. Uh, I'll, you know what? I'm going to give it, but it sounds like you've got a lot to say. So I'm, I'm almost quick. certain we have the same guy. I'm going to be quick, and then I'm going to step aside here. Okay. So my number three is Wes Moore, and quite frankly, I almost put Rashawn Baker at number three. So I'm with you. Nichols' amount of difference between those two. Um, you know, Wes Moore's got the money. He's got the endorsements. He he still seems to have the, the energy um, in certain corners. But, you know, it, it's what's that old saying? It's, uh, you know, your, your support is a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, I, I just I'm, I'm starting to, to doubt that. I, I think there could be some people in July as we get to the primary day who say this could this could look like 14 and 18. If we send this guy, we might want to reevaluate as exciting as he seems and he makes these great speeches, you know, especially if it's a Kelly Schultz. Do we want to send this guy into the fall? I don't know. So he's my number three. Bill, all you know, yours, my I, friend. <laughs> so when I first came across the candidacy of Westmore, who is my number three, I thought to myself, how do I know him? Because he looks familiar. <laughs> and I looked through his biography, and I can remember when I met Westmore. And it was when he was, a, uh, I, I believe he was on O'Malley staff. And he was a very, and O'Malley used to have an annual fundraiser um, in, uh, in Baltimore City at, you know, one of a number of different uh, large capacity, um, you know, music venues. And, and I remember now not just seeing Wes Moore, but talking to Wes Moore. I remember he's a fellow Johns Hopkins alum, a very dynamic, energetic, charismatic person. I would love for Wes Moore to hold elected office in the state of Maryland. I will tell you what elected office I think Wes Moore should hold in the state of Maryland. I think Wes Moore should become the congressman in the third congressional district mm. because the current congressman, Congressman John Sarbanes, has done absolutely zilch for the people of the third congressional district. And he is not there for any other reason rather than to hold his seat, hold a seat that, you know, and, and, and I guess go by a family tradition you know, his father, Paul Sarbanes, was a long-term 30-year U.S. senator of, you know, the Sarbanes family being in Maryland politics. I don't even think John Sarbanes is the best Sar best of John's, of, of Paul's sons, who should be in elected office. I'm a Michael <laughs> Sarbanes fan myself. And, you know, uh, the third district was basically drawn and we got the O'Malley bug splatter third district that was mocked and ridiculed nationwide for what yeah. for this guy we're Turn not down. talking about a future president we're not talking about a future president here we are yeah. talking about somebody with the dynamism of a wet piece of cardboard on the side of a road and that's John Sarbanes. And that's like an energetic impersonation of John Sarbanes. 
I'm sure he does good constituent service. I'm sure he's very re responsive to people. But name for me one accomplishment that he has 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 taken sole responsibility for that he is known for in all the time he's been in Congress. I could get behind and I can get energized behind Wes Moore running for the third CD. I cannot get behind Wes Moore running for governor because we saw this before. And this movie was called Ben Jealous 2018. So to all my, all my progressive friends, including my friends who are not so progressive, who are supporting Wes Moore because he's a fresh face, he's a new thing. No, 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 we did that. We did that. It didn't work out so great. The guy lost 57-43. Let's not do that again. Let's take this seriously and let's go with somebody who could win. I think Rush Baker could win. I think the guy I'm going to mention at number one could win. Um, Wes Moore, I think, will get sliced and diced by a Republican communications uh, network, which once they see him uh, as, as the Democratic nominee, this race will go from lean Democratic to toss up National money will pour in. Of course, Trump has already endorsed Cox, and they are going to be gunning to keep this state house. End of story. Mm -hmm. And then at number two, I have the aforementioned Dan Cox. Um, what have I said about Dan Cox that hasn't been said already? I believe last time I spoke volumes about the, the non-qualifications of him and his incredibly insane uh, running mate to hold office. So I'm going to let you speak more about Dan Cox, Steve. Well, look, I've got Dan Cox at number two also, and I've said a lot as well. So in the essence of time, um, I'm just going to say he, he's, he's there and he's not going anywhere and he's probably going to be the Republican nominee. And uh, you're right. I think that Going back to to Mr. Moore, uh, I I will I will just say this, and people can think about it whatever they want to. I think as I, we look at this list, the the one Democrat that I would favor Dan Cox over would be Wes Moore. Um, Francho, no. Baker, no. Perez, no. Gansler, no. Uh, you know, obviously we go further down the list of of people who are more likely to be nominated, but. If you take that list right there, I don't know that Dan Cox beats anybody not named Wes Moore. So I think that's really the nuts and bolts of it with this guy. Um, you know, the only thing that I can say is he didn't say anything this week that made me want to throw up on my computer screen. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's an improvement or he decided to take the week off or I was too busy at work to pay attention. But that's about all I got. <laughs> so... I'm just going to move on to the number one candidate and be done with it because I don't even want to talk about this guy anymore. And my number one is recent podcast guest, one, Maryland State Comptroller Peter Francho, who on our podcast showed exactly why he is number one and exactly why if he wins a nomination, he's going to be the next governor of the state of Maryland. Um, I found it interesting that he said at one point he he's not trying to run a general election campaign, but – 
if you listen to him on the different issues, he really is running a he's running a full all year campaign. I mean, it plays the primaries, but it also plays the general election. So I don't even know if there's a difference with Mr. Francho. He is who he is. And the one thing I give him credit for is unlike, especially on the Democratic side, a lot of people who you know try to make themselves into something else just to get nominated, they try to find their way back to who they really are. He's running as Peter Francho. You know, take him or leave him. What you see is what you get. Um, and, and that's how he was on the podcast. Uh, I thought he, he hit the issues the way I expected him to. Um, he did a great job. And, uh, yeah, he, he's number one until further notice. Uh, are there others that could take him, you know, could get to that 35 before he does? Sure. But right now, I can't imagine being better positioned to get to the number 35 than he is right now. Or beyond 35, quite frankly. And likewise, uh, I am still in the camp at number one of the still club ho- clubhouse leader, uh, still leader in all the polls until some poll comes out where he's not. And that is Maryland controller Peter Francho. Um, you know, I agree with everything you said, uh, Steve, on, uh, on the podcast interview. Um, very interesting to catch somebody and uh, interview a candidate for governor on a Friday night, because at the end of a long week, I mean, this is, you know, or, or actually it was a, it was a Monday night, Monday, but, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it was a, uh, originally it was going to be Friday night. Right. Um, right. but uh, on, a, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, sometimes you catch somebody in a little bit more candid state. And that's where I think we, we, uh, we caught the comptroller and, uh, I think it was a good thing. And, you know, I think about the banner we had back and forth about, you know, uh, the little ideas we had about, uh, you know, state sales tax holidays. Yeah. You know, and the thing I brought up about a, a tax holiday for building supplies and materials and such. And, you know, he, he kind of went with that and he was like, hey, you know, that could be a really good idea. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm da 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 da. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not the sign of somebody, um, you know, who's, who's too old to do the job. That's right. not the sign of somebody who's phoning it in. I mean, yeah. that's the sign of somebody who is thinking and keeping themselves open every day to new possibilities to make Maryland the best state it can be. That's the sort of experience and expertise we need to do the job of governor. And um, that's why he's the best qualified. So yeah, yeah. I'm still yeah. a Rancho guy. Uh, and nothing is nothing has been done or said to change that. But I agree with you. I mean, I look at these candidates at our list, and I go all the way down to Mr. Gansler, and uh, every single one of them beats either of these Republicans, except for Mr. Moore. Yeah, agreed. Yes, sir. Steve, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, no. I think that the 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 race, uh, you know, a little. A little bit of shakeup, like you said, we we both shook it. You know, our, our shakeups were roughly the same, which was a surprise because you're right. We started at 10:30, and I think we wrote our list. I know my, my list was written at 10:29, and uh, you know we we are we are the same camp. But I think it's consistent with what you're seeing out there. I mean, you look at 
whether it's Baker's internal polls or some other ones that you're getting out at, uh, it, it, shockingly, the polls seem to be at this point, you know, Francho, Baker, Moore, Perez, you know, seem to be the top four in, in the polling that I'm seeing out there, uh, as limited as it is. So I think those are your big four on the Dem side with Gansler, you know, looking to catch fire to get in that mix. The Republican side is pretty much where it's been for the past who knows how long. Um, I did not mention my tease, um, and we talked about it earlier. We don't have to get too deep into it, but uh, I think Ficker is a bigger threat to Schultz than to Cox, um, but he could be a threat to either. But you're right. I don't think it moves the needle enough that it's going to change the result because I think at this point Cox is not only going to win, but he's going to win comfortably. So um, I think it's Dan Cox versus hopefully somebody who can beat Dan Cox. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I would welcome it being Cox versus Francho or, or Cox versus Baker because Cox or, or, or even or Perez, because it would just be, you know, or Gansler, because it would just be an idiot against somebody yep. with a wealth of experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I, I don't know. I, I'm, yeah. you know, I've, I've said all I'm going to say on the matter. You know, I'm not going to run, run Mr. Moore into the ground. He's a good man. Like yep. I said, I think there's a place for him in Maryland politics. Uh, unlike oh, yeah. Ben Jealous, who I thought had no place in Maryland politics from the day he announced that mm-hmm. he was running for office. Um, but uh, but I just I just don't see this as his place or this time. So yep. um, so there we have it. All right, folks. Well, I hope you're enjoying your rainy, windy, soggy <laughs> weekend. Uh, and we will, Steve and I will be back at you this coming weekend, hopefully with Monica Biddix, our, our planned guest from this podcast episode. So till then, we are signing off. And, you know, you can enjoy the, the dulcet tones of our computers saying, recording over. Uh, till then, till next time, this is Bill and Steve. You have been watching or listening to Forward Maryland. Bye now.